Hey everyone, this is Anna Firminov, and this is Modern Startup Marketing, a show that's shining a light on those startups that are taking their marketing efforts to the next level. And now to this episode. Anna McVeigh Murphy, thank you so much for coming on here. Anna is the marketing manager at Curacubby. Am I saying that right? You are. And to be honest, there's not like a designated way to pronounce it. I've heard Curacubby and Curacubby from people. So, <laughs> okay, I'm going to stick with Curacubby because it just came naturally to me. The company was founded in 2016. It's about 20 people right now, and it is based out of Berkeley, California, a great place to be at this point in time if I were to be anywhere <laughs> across the country. On the funding side, it is seed funded. And the really cool news is that you guys are preparing to raise Series A. So I'm very excited for you guys. And I know that's probably part of like the ton of work that is on your founding members. So excited for you in that. And so to give an explanation of Curacubby, it's an education technology startup. And before I explain what it is, I just want to say I have a special place in my heart for ed tech companies because I come from that. I just from that area, that space. And so Curacubby is an integrated business and payments platform for schools of all sizes. And the essence is really school management shouldn't be a headache. Schools should be able to focus less on all of that admin stuff, all the administrative tasks that they need to do. And they should focus more on the students. That's why they exist, right? To focus on the students. So Curacubby comes in and helps in that arena. The backstory of how Anna and I met. So we both go pretty regularly. We meet on uh, Demand Gen Live with Chris Walker in a weekly event And we found a lot of value from that that event. Love that weekly session. And it's great that I met you on there. There's a few of us like EdTech folks sprinkled around and and going to different events or joining different communities. So that's how we met and excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. As you said, like I love Chris Walker's Demand Gen Live. It's brought so many fantastic people to my network. Great. So let's talk about, I got a bunch of questions for you about the company and about your marketing. But first, before we start talking about marketing, let's talk about podcasting because you're a podcast host as well. And I am impressed because you basically started this podcast while starting at Curacubby. You've been there for almost a half a year. Your podcast is called K-12-ish, if anybody wants to check it out. And it's about learning, featuring learning leaders. Brilliant, right? So I'd love to hear, how did you get into this? I don't hear about this often. I don't um, hear about folks in marketing at a Series A company with a lean team not starting a lot of podcasts out there that I know of, right? Coming from ed tech startups, because the goal of a podcast is really long-term brand building. And the goal of startups, you know, seed funded and series A funded is more short-term, short-term conversions. And how do we make sure we get these, you know, customers on board? So how did you make this happen? Talk to me. Yeah. So 
to be honest, like I'm a big believer in some of that long-term brand building that marketing teams have to do. I think demand generation is super important running ads, but my background came from content marketing. So I'm a big believer in putting out content and building your audience that way. I've wanted to start a podcast for a very long time. I mean, I mentioned I worked in content marketing, but I did a lot of work with educators at all levels. And I was running a digital magazine prior to coming to Kerr Cubby. So I have a lot of people within my network who are thought leaders within education. And so when I was going through the hiring process, it was something of that I had pitched to the CEO that I really wanted to focus on creating our own content streams where we were publishing thought leadership, featuring a lot of leaders, because I felt like, and this is no insult to Kerr Cubby, they do what a lot of companies do. They just like talk about like, hey, we're the expert, we're the expert, but they don't do anything to actually prove that expertise. So I had really advocated for that with the CEO. And to be honest, like he was fully on board. I told him I wanted to start a podcast about a month in and he was like, great, what's it called? And I was like, K-12-ish. And he's like, love it. How long is it going to take to start? And I was like, I think probably a month. It was after Chris Walker's Demand Gen Live that was like, why do you need to start a podcast tomorrow? And I was like, okay, I can't start it tomorrow, but I can start it in a month. Once I get the ground under my feet and he was just like, do it. And he's been trying to find people to get on as guests he really is our biggest cheerleader on marketing. So I lucked out a lot with the CEO that I got when I came to Kurakabi, which was a big thing I look for in the hiring process. Because I've worked with a lot of companies that didn't believe in marketing or just thought it was like something extra that they just needed to send out emails to get people to sign up for a demo. And Stephen Kwong, the CEO of Kurakabi, like he gets that it's a long-term game and that there's content involved and you need to be a thought leader. So they've been really invested in it. And I'm super lucky. Well, you know what? I also started my podcast after that Chris Walker event. So I think wow. he really had an impact on many people, <laughs> including both <laughs> of us. It was like a challenge, right? And so there are folks that just want to take you up on that challenge. And that's where we came from, right? (laughs) It's apparently people named Anna who want to take them up on the challenge. That's right. That's right. So that's awesome that you decided to do that, that the team was on board. And even though it's a long-term play, that really is how you prove your expertise, right? It's one of the smartest ways, I think, with creating that content, creating long-form content, and then you can use that throughout all of your content strategy efforts. It's amazing. And like even started promoting it on LinkedIn, for example. And when I first came on in July or so, we had like 150 followers on LinkedIn. We're almost at 800 now. And we're like rapidly growing. And we've been doing a lot of promoting our podcast on there. So it's what's allowed us to grow on other platforms. We've seen some growth on Twitter through it too. And then some on Instagram, but Instagram's algorithm super wonky right now. But so it really has, it's given us the ability to row across all of our different channels that we're running. I love that. When people are wondering, like, how do I gain followers? Well, this is how you provide the value. And then clearly you haven't really been at the company for long and you've already been able to get that traction. And actually, same thing. I can say from my own side, the followers have increased. They've increased at a more exponential rate ever since I started working on the podcast and shared snippets of the content because you're providing value. And it's almost like for people like you and me, it comes naturally. Of course, you would share this sort of expertise with people. And then why wouldn't they want to to follow you for more of this expertise? So 
Exactly. And I'm even getting followers on my own personal LinkedIn. And this is like, as you mentioned, we're an ed tech company. We do a lot of work with independent schools, childcare organizations, charter schools. And I just had someone from the Charter School Association follow me on my own personal LinkedIn. And so it's like our target audience is seeing it. And like, I'm not going to follow up and be like, buy Currahubby. But it's a long-term play of building that relationship and showing our expertise and maybe even one day getting him on the podcast as a guest and just starting to build that bridge for further conversations. Awesome. I love that this thought process is so strategic. So let me ask you, so... What does marketing mean to you? means different things to different people. And you're at a particular point in your career. I'd love to understand what what it means to you. Yeah. So I think some of it comes from my bias of how I came into marketing. And it was very much through a content perspective and in an education role. And so for me, marketing is like, it's obviously the goal is to increase the revenue of a company, but it's about building a relationship with your audience. And that's mutually beneficial. That's like, not just about like you buying from us. Cause that's used to be how it was. Like you look back at business, like even centuries ago, they still had that same play of like, you just buy from me, that's it. And it's really changing now. And it's a two way street. Buyers are much more informed, especially when it comes to these SaaS products with these like big ticket prices. And so you want to build that relationship with them early. You want them to see you as an expert. It's a crowded market. And so for me, it really is all about relationship building. Great. Marketing, relationship building makes sense. I love how you simplify that. So you joined, as I mentioned, about half a year ago. Was there any marketing that was happening before you joined? You kind of alluded to it. And I'd love to hear more about that. And also, how are the teams structured now? Yeah, so there really wasn't that much marketing. So COVID hit, and I wasn't there at that point. I was at a different company. But they had been purely outbound sales driven. Like they were just had those like regular sales meetings you'd expect where it's like, how many calls did you make today? How many emails? Like how many connections? And then they started to notice that when COVID hit, they got this massive uptick in web traffic. And they were like, Oh, oh shoot, we don't really have anyone who's managing it. They did have one person who she's like that jack of all trades at a startup. So she was like the one who managed the website, managed the email, but also does like customer onboarding and all this other stuff. And so, and it's like sales support too. So, like, it was just a small part of her very large job description. And so, they brought on a demand gen consultant who did some work with like running some ads, trying to get some people to the site. But that was like really the extent of it is they had a website, they had a blog that they didn't really publish too regularly. And it wasn't super SEO optimized. Um, They put keywords in it, but there wasn't that planning from an SEO perspective of strategically like what keywords we want to rank for. And then they were running some Facebook ads, but just a few. And so I came in and so I really had a blank canvas to work with. Great. Okay. So you're at that point, you come in, you have a blank canvas. What do you start working on? How did you figure out like what, what activities you'd focus on and what's working well for you right now? Yeah. So I took it from a perspective of a threefold kind of strategy. So there was almost no brand awareness for Currahubby. Like there were very few searches for it. I was looking at the data of like how many people even search for Currahubby. I was looking at our social footprint. It just wasn't there. We have a pretty small database of people we could reach out to. And most of them were like, this is going to be so bad. But most of them were just bot lists. 
And in fact, the CRM they were using didn't let people unsubscribe from it. So we were basically just like spamming people. And so I was like, we don't really have an audience. We need to build that audience. And so that was the brand awareness side. But brand awareness, obviously, we're talking about long-term things like podcasting, blogging, social media, they take a long time to grow. So then I was like, okay, demand generation. So we had that demand gen consultant who was with us for a few months. He was fantastic. So he really helped us with... We focus a lot on Facebook ads and Google ads. There are a lot of educators on Twitter, but it's really difficult to track the efficacy of Twitter ads, at least from my experience. So we haven't done that yet. And LinkedIn can be really expensive. So we were like, let's focus on Facebook and let's focus on Google. And then there was also sales enablement. Just collateral, for example, was years old. It didn't have our brand colors on it. People are just kind of like using whatever they could put together. So I was like, okay, like from a marketer's perspective, I'm like, it has to be clean and organized. Like we need some sort of system here. So I focused on brand awareness, demand generation, and sales enablement. And the major first project I took on was the website because it was just like very clear that it wasn't SEO optimized. Like, most pages didn't have SEO title tags. They didn't have meta descriptions. And so I was like, some of this was just like low hanging fruit, like just very low hanging. We, If we made just a few updates that really didn't take that long, we could see massive gains. So I did some work there. And also with optimizing all of the different pages for the strategic keywords we were going after. So they would have like the product name or the feature name, but no one's actually searching for that feature name because there isn't brand awareness. So I'm like, well, let's make sure we're talking about like specifically what that feature does. So for example, they have something called the family signup tool, and that's an online registration application system for students, but no one's searching for family signup tool. So I was like, why don't we did some keyword research? I think like online enrollment software was like what seemed to be the best fit for us. And that had like high enough search volume. And so within the first two months, we saw, I think it was over a 400% increase in website traffic and a dip in bounce rate too. I mean, our bounce rate is like 5%. So it's super low, but it went down from like 20% to 5%, which both are good numbers. And so like, we just immediately saw the benefit of that. And so we had like a lot more steady stream of people coming to our site and people who are coming to our site, like for the right reason, they were potential buyers or people who are interested in some of the thought leadership content we were putting out. So that was the first big project we took on was just like, I like to think of our website as our living room, getting our living room in order for people to come in. I talk about that actually in that same way. I talk about it not as a living room, but as a house. Like get your house in order before you think about creating those other beautiful rooms before you tell other people about those that beautiful house and beautiful rooms, which is like the awareness piece that everybody thinks marketing is all about. But you have to start before that. So awesome. You told me a lot of great juicy nuggets here. You had a blank slate. You came in there. You automatically knew that you had to like build that audience. Don't want to use those bot lists, right? Brand, thinking about social and blogging and your podcast, demand gen. You had an expert there working on the paid advertising. Sales collateral, very important too. And then your website and SEO optimization. A lot of great stuff that I'm sure has impacted the company since you started there half a year ago. And so what's the team look like now? Is it you along with the demand gen person or how are you guys thinking about the team maybe like right now or into the near future? Yeah. So when I first came on, yeah, it was like basically just me and the demand gen consultant who we had for like five hours a week. So Pretty quickly, I hired someone who he's a college student. So he's an intern part time, but he's fantastic. And he's running our social media platforms for us. You know, younger generations, 
I'm probably a part of that generation, but we know how social (laughs) works and they're really good at it and creating engaging content. And so he was someone who was really hungry for that experience. And he's just like a worker bee and puts out great content for us. So I brought him on to run our social because that's how we want to get our content out there. It's like we did have somewhat of a following on them, but we knew that we could grow on certain channels. And so we brought him on. And so he's with us part-time. And then about a month ago, I just brought on a content coordinator to do a lot of content writing for us. So she's helping, especially with our blogs. And we've been able to increase top of funnel traffic to our website by like 250%, I think, and over the last quarter. And so after bringing her on, I'm sure it's going to go up more because we're going to have someone who's really focused on creating that content on a steady basis. And she's also helping me with some of our like sales collateral and writing projects. But it's just nice. Like anyone who's done content knows it takes a really long time to write things well. So it's just nice having someone to be able to hand that off to. And she's fantastic. So right now it's the three of us. But I just pitched to the CEO what I would like that team to look like post Series A. So it would grow significantly. I have it stacked under five different parts. So the first one is like a brand marketing piece. And part of this is also informed by how Chris Walker talks about it. He's always like brand and performance. So I have that brand marketing piece where it would be SEO, content, and social. I also have a customer marketing piece because I think that that's right now a really untapped area for us, especially as parents become more involved in the buying decisions. We'd like to have uh, the buying decisions for schools. We'd like to have more of a customer marketer who can leverage the network effect with them and looking for referrals and just creating customer engagement programs, especially as we bring on more customers. So the next that we had was a performance team. And that would be with product marketing and demand generation, bringing someone on who just specializes in ads and utilizing them to help us grow our presence on those different ad platforms. And then another big piece of it was just having like an operation. So people who can run, we migrated to HubSpot in my first two months. That was a big big project of mine and something I really push for. I love HubSpot. I think they do just marketing and sales automation so well. And we're now moving our sales team over there. So it's it's been really popular amongst the company. But I want to bring someone on who can manage that and manage the circuitry of it. And then the last tier of that, the team I'm building is just a, a team that focuses on like graphic design, multimedia production, co- like a copywriter and a project manager for all of that. So like a creative team that we can then leverage and just have be able to pump out assets because right now there's essentially three of us who are like juggling it all. And I would like to be able to focus more on that strategy and not be like so in the weeds of like Canva all the time and have people who can just use Photoshop and those different design tools well. Wow. Sounds like you're preparing for a big marketing explosion, <laughs> to happen, yes. which is a positive thing, right? Building out mm-hmm. all these teams, you've got a strategy in place of like why you need folks in each of these areas. You talked about brand performance, customer marketing would be something new and ops to help you out and design to build out those assets. What about email? How are you using email? Do you have a consistent way of keeping in touch with prospects or customers with your email program? Yeah. So right now we use email, like we're sending out newsletters and content to people. We are also doing a lot of events right now, a lot of webinars to stay in touch with our base. Hopefully more interesting than the traditional webinars we try, but it has actually been a great way that we've been able to 
gain more contacts into our database just by promoting those and people interested in attending some of those events. So right now, our email marketing is mostly focused on events, downloads, content. So as I said, we have those bot lists. So I don't want to just keep on spamming them. So we've done a lot of tracking of like, because you can see in HubSpot, for example, like who's going to your website, who's looking at things. So we've used that to flush out maybe people who are interested in us and aren't just an email we have that we bought a few years ago. And so... For them, we do market to them about like product updates that we had. We've released like eight new products over the last eight weeks. So it's been quite a lot. And so reaching out to them when we think it might be relevant. And we've gotten a ton of traction that way. We just released a health screening tool for school so they can document and track all symptoms by their staff and students. But we've gotten a ton of traction from people like via email there. So right now we just don't have someone who can manage all of that. So we're doing it for like customer engagement. But my hope would be like if we had a customer marketing manager, like they would own our customer communications, our the people on the brand side would own those like newsletters and content distribution. And then people on the performance side, especially on the product marketing side, they would focus on a lot of our outbound efforts for our product. And so Right now, I think there's so much that we're working on that I would like to utilize email more. We're sending out about like two to three emails a week to different segments. So we're still sending them out, but definitely not as much and probably not as strategically as I would like us to be in six months when we just have more people on board to help us with it. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. You already talked about a lot. So I really was just curious about the email component. I'm impressed by how you're juggling all these things with the lean team, but I always am impressed with startups because that's what you got to do, right? (laughs) Juggle juggle everything, wear a lot of hats. It really is like all about that. And I'm very fortunate with the people that I've brought on to the marketing team. They're both younger. And I think startups are good for that because it's people that are just hungry for that experience. And so they are just like so willing to take on different projects and deal with shifting priorities. I've been just super busy. And so like this whole last week, I was like pretty out of pocket as a manager and they like still manage. And I was just like very grateful to have them. Like I couldn't do it without the people I have on my team. That is a sure sign that you hired the right people if you're not there and they can just still keep the ship moving. So exactly. I was like, thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what about the the challenges? What's keeping you up at night? What are you trying to figure out? um, What's really difficult at this point in time? I would say for me, what keeps me up at night, and it legitimately does keep me up at night, is just worrying about expanding the contacts that we have. Because right now, like we're putting on events, but like we're slowly getting... We just didn't have an engaged contact database. So I'm just trying to think of how to word it. Like, I just, I want to grow the number of people that we can reach because I know we're putting out good content and I know we're putting out good events and we're putting out good resources. We publish a lot of original data from our platform because it is a payments processing platform. So we can pull a lot of data from our partner schools and see like how COVID's impacted their bottom line. And so for me, I think... I worry about how can we reach more and more people? Like we have a limited number of subscribers. We've got a limited number of followers. So it's like constantly about like growing it, which really is where that brand awareness comes into. Yeah. Do you think that it's just a matter of time 
you want to grow. So how do you like 10 times your growth with contacts with people that know you? Is this just a matter of time? Because you've been putting all the pieces in place. You've been putting the brand stuff like social, blog, podcasting. You've been putting the ads out there and learning what works is part of it, right? What's resonating to get people interested to visit your site if that's where you're sending them. You're building out those sales materials. You're nurturing folks that are intrigued already to get them to talk to sales and to close those deals. Working on the website, there's a lot that you're working on. You're just trying to figure out like specifically what are the focus areas that will 10 times your growth in driving the, the context that you have and like the awareness about you guys. Yeah, exactly. Like it really does feel like it is a matter of time in a lot of ways. It's like we're seeing the growth. Like we are. Like as I mentioned, just within a couple months, we had a 400% increase in site traffic. And we're seeing an increase in bottom of funnel form fills right now. And so, and we're getting increased subscribers. We're getting more and more listeners to the podcast every week. So you see it growing over time. So I think part of it's just impatience on my part a little bit. And like, you want to see that and you know, the exec team is like hungry for that massive revenue growth. And we're seeing it like we already are, but like you, you want it even more, which is like, I'm a very competitive person and I don't like to settle, which is why I think I enjoy startup marketing so much and just being at a startup. So I think part of it's just like a factor of that as well. Yep. I totally hear you on that. Let's talk about this year and COVID and how it has affected your customers, your prospects, your marketing to them. Anything that you're thinking about keeping it the same as you move forward into next year, anything you're thinking about and planning to do differently into next year? Yeah. So I think especially with, because we market to schools. So they were drastically impacted by COVID. I mean, primarily we started off as working mostly with child cares and preschools when we were founded as a company. And so a lot of child cares and preschools, because they run with such thin margins, were really negatively affected by COVID. In fact, like we did a survey of them and it was like over half were on the brink of closing. A third already had like permanently closed. So we did see like a dip in our customer base at that point. And so for us, it's forced us to reconsider our target market in a lot of ways. So we were already in independent schools and charter schools and we're in some public school districts, even universities, but we're really doubling down on those efforts to expand beyond childcare, which is still the majority of our customer base. It's also really forced us to look at our product map and reconsider the types of products we're developing to make sure that they fit the needs of schools right now. So we're creating an app that's for parent-teacher communication that will allow parents and teachers to send text messages, videos, images in a secure environment. They'll be able to chat, log DRDP events. We released a health tracking system. So now you can log student and staff symptoms. We released a touchless attendance tool. So you can scan a QR code and check your students into school without having to like fill out a form. So we're really focused on helping schools go paperless now and just remove those like in-person touch points as much as possible that were already difficult for schools to manage. Like anyone who's worked at a school and dealt with drop-off, like, you know, it's a really hectic time. So like anything just to simplify that. So it's really caused us to expand beyond our core of payments processing, but we're also doing a lot, some of which I can't say now because it's still private, to 
continue to deepen the value that our core payments processing tool provides to schools, especially as they go more digital and parents expect more and more things to occur online. Mm -hmm. Yep. As a parent of kids, I think the school district we're in has handled it very well, but I can imagine how it's really shaken things up and you're just not prepared for the amount of change And it's going to keep going into next year. I think maybe there's a better grasp of things now, but there's also an understanding of like, we need this. We also need this. And how can we simplify this and make this easier? So it's probably a great time for you guys to expand beyond what you're doing before and deepen your, the way that you help schools. Exactly. And we're finding that parents are now, they're obviously much more involved in their kids' education, right? They were the teachers in the spring in a lot of cases, So parents now have a larger influence in terms of the buying decisions of schools. They've seen how certain programs work and they they understand how their students learn best and they they expect to have certain tools in place. And so we're finding that more and more parents are involved in those buying decisions, which goes back to what I was saying earlier about wanting to bring someone on for customer marketing who can really leverage our parent relationships. And and like it would be fantastic to be able to really grow through word of mouth of parents, especially like kids change schools all the time. So you go from one school to another and to be like, hey, we should have this check-in tool. I used to be able to do it, not on paper. So I think that there's a lot of opportunities of, especially as I was talking about those concerns of how do we continue to grow and grow our audience, like using people who are a part of our audience right now to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably the the most significant way to do it. Okay, so we've talked about the effects of COVID, how you're planning to to grow there, to change, to target your product, expanding beyond what you're offering now. Let's talk about you and your background. You have been in education, but you moved from education space, I believe universities, right? And working there into ed tech, how has that prepared you for your role now with Curacubby? And has your approach to marketing and content and demand gen changed over time? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that I really do think that my background in education has changed how I approach marketing. Like I was talking about earlier, marketing is relationship building. Education is all about relationships. So I think for me, like that that's core to who I am. So I worked at in education at the university level, but I've also worked at the Boys and Girls Club for a while, tutoring like six and seven-year-olds, which was just a wild time. Anyone who's worked with six and seven-year-olds knows that, like being in a room with 25 of them, like that'll teach you like how to prioritize and communicate really quickly. And then after that, I also did a lot of tutoring with English language learners who were primarily Arabic speaking. I wound up in ed tech because I'm an Arabic speaker. And so I got hired on with an ed tech company that delivered professional development to teachers all over the world. And so I would go to the Arabic speaking countries and do it in Arabic while they would do their English presentations there. So And from there, I started to build relationships with a lot of the educators I had that I would meet on the road. And so I started building an online publishing platform for teachers through that company, and they would contribute their perspectives, both English and Arabic. So it was this like blog that turned into this great resource hub with international educators from, gosh, like every country out there. Like we had people in like Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, 
UAE, Saudi Arabia, even we had people from like Southeast Asian countries, India. And so it was like this really like global community. And so that's how I got into ed tech. And that's how more importantly, how I got into marketing, because suddenly I was managing a blog and the company was like, great, it's all you. And I was like, okay, this is probably more than I signed up for. But I like, I loved it. And I've always had a penchant for writing and editing. So it really just like, that's how I got into marketing was just purely through content. And then I officially joined their marketing team. I was kind of like working in a silo on my own. And they were like, okay, well, let's put you on marketing just during some company shifts. And that's like when I really started to realize the power of the content I was creating to help that business. Like selfishly, I was just doing it because I was really interested in it. But then I saw how it started to impact their bottom line. And that's really what sparked that interest in marketing for me. So from there, like I've worked at a few ed tech companies doing very similar things, like dealing with digital publications. I was previously at a computer science curriculum company right before going to Curacubby. And it was actually the chief revenue officer there who gave me a word of recommendation to the CEO at Curacubby because she knew him and knew that he was hiring for a head of marketing. So that's kind of how I wound up there. But it was very much through that perspective of of education and relationship building. So that's how I wound up at Curacubby was this in, in marketing there and education is that like it came from this core belief in the value of relationships with people and the value of giving people information that will help them, which is the whole idea of education is you're teaching people how to do things. So I believe that marketing can take all of this knowledge that a company has and project that beyond just what the product does, but in a way that like changes how people work and then ultimately gets them to use your product because they trust you. And it's inherently a part of the sort of mindset you want them to have in their position. And that's a big theme that we talk about during Demand Gen Live, right? Like it's the give, give, give that you need to do. And it's not just in this uh, weekly session with Chris Walker. It's all over the place, especially this year. It's more about giving value, providing value before we think about asking for anything. It makes sense, right? The more that you give, the greater your audience will grow. And then there will be a certain point where it makes sense now that your audience is big enough when you do have an ask, they'll see it. And instead of having like 0.5% of those people buy, you'll have 5% of those people buy because you're able to give, give, give and grow the audience. And they trust you so much that you have more people that are now ready to buy with you. So this is a concept that I definitely agree with. (laughs) Absolutely. It is like, it's about building that trust, but then also just building that qualified audience. I had a boss who used to describe like outbound sales, outreach, cold outreach is like spray and pray. You're just going to like try to hit enough things that like enough say yes. And it's like, yeah, that works. But eventually you exhaust that list and you piss a lot of people off (laughs) while doing so. And it's like, what if we could do it organically and really focus on building that relationship on giving them value over time and, and also qualifying them. So that way, by the time they get to a salesperson, they already know who we are. They know what we do. They like understand the sort of ideals we have within that industry, what our goal is for a partner school. It's just a shorter time to close. 
Absolutely. Uh, One thing I didn't ask you and I'm curious about is there are a bunch of different ed tech companies out there. I know this because I come from the space. So how do you stand out? How do you differentiate yourself? What do you guys focus in on when you're explaining like what you do and the services that you provide? Yeah. So I was writing about this on LinkedIn the other day because this is something I think a lot about. I've worked at a lot of ed tech companies or dealt with a lot of them. And their messaging is really dry. It's like, we'll engage your students. We'll help you with standardized tests. We'll save you time. Focus more on your students. And like, and to me, it's like, it, it just, it all starts to sound the same. So like, I've been really trying to work with the company to figure out what are unique voices when the, within the space. And I think for Currakubby in a lot of ways, it's like, we work at the intersection of FinTech and EdTech. And so we bring an expertise in terms of how to manage a business effectively, which can then be leveraged within schools. Our CEO, like he created Currakubby. The story behind the product, I think is really interesting. He has a son with autism and he went to enroll him in preschool and just there wasn't any good preschool that really fit his son's needs. So if you know Steven, it doesn't surprise you that he would be like, well, I'll just create my own. So he created his own preschool for students with special needs and similar different learning abilities as his son. And so he got really frustrated because he spent so much time on the administrative side, like dealing with enrollment, compliance, payments. And he was like, there wasn't a good solution he could find. So similar to starting the preschool, he was like, well, I'll just create my own. So he created it literally just for him to use. And then a couple other preschools got word of it and he just gave them logins and they were using it for theirs. So he was just like giving it out for free. And then enough started to hear about it that he was like, wow, like I actually think there's something here. And and they're now asking for like maintenance on the program. And he's like, I did not sign up for this. So like, then he went on to create the company. And so like, it was really created to solve that problem for schools, unlike a lot of companies that are just created by like consultants, especially in ed tech. And it came from an expertise, like he brought people on like one of the our COO, he is one of the original people from Stripe, for example. So we have like a very strong understanding of how to run businesses from a financial perspective and to go digital with all of your financial operations. So I don't know what that looks like right now in marketing language, but that's how I'm thinking about it. I like that FinTech and EdTech, the intersection of that. And makes sense. Like that is, it's hard to figure out your unique value prop and how to differentiate yourself. I think it's an ongoing conversation and it goes past, you know, seed and series A and into series B. And maybe that messaging kind of changes and you have to be ready to almost like morph that depending on now, how is your target changing a little bit or how are the different segments that you're targeting? Maybe you need to talk about things a little bit differently to each one. So I'm not surprised, but I love that you're, you've you been thinking about it and you also want to go beyond the norm and the boring stuff that you're used to hearing. And that's kind of like falling flat. And like, I'm fine with phrases like, we'll save you time and money if you have actual data behind it. And I am working with our product team right now to pull that data out. Like we could potentially prove that and we know it to be true, but I'm like, we have to be able to back it up. People believe hard numbers. So I'm like, if we're going to say it, we have to say it with, with data, like with some gumption behind it. Like we need to be able to like put our money where our mouth is. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Great thing I wanted to want to talk about is again, related to you. If you want to share something personal about you, something like how you've handled this year, something about your career, 
anything that you think would be interesting for folks to hear about you on a more personal level? Yeah. So I think, God, it's been such a wild year. I think for me, it's that Again, I'd worked in marketing and at ed tech companies, and I was feeling really stuck in my career when the beginning of this year happened. Like, I was just like, didn't really feel like I had the potential to grow. I had really started thinking more beyond just content marketing, but to demand generation. And I wasn't really on a team that bought into that. And they're just like, and I wasn't at a company that was willing to invest in marketing. Like, the CEO at the time would like come to us and be like, how many leads will we get out of this post on Twitter? And it was like, that's just not how it works. And so it was like such an uphill battle that it it just felt like I have no really room to grow here anymore. And I think for me, it was when COVID hit, I started to look for a new job. I was like, I know there's marketing jobs out there. And then the company because due to leadership, we're like unwilling to survive COVID and they laid off a bunch of their staff and they laid off the entire marketing team. I was included in that, but I was already interviewing at these different companies. So within like four days, I had gotten the contract to work at Kirk Hubby. And so it was like, nothing had happened. And I was really lucky in that sense because I know it has not been like that for a lot of people. But I think it changed my outlook in terms of a career. Like I'm still relatively young. So I was like so afraid of ever being laid off from a place. And it was just realizing that there's sometimes like a lot of opportunity and just being like set free and like recognizing that what you're doing isn't working is like actually an opportunity to grow and change. That's a really great point. I think it's a great point to bring up whenever there's change, people don't like it. I think that's really what it comes down to. It's hard. It's hard because you have to change what you're doing. You have to start thinking about things in a new way, do new things, and people don't like that. But a lot of times these furloughs and layoffs, and sometimes you're already like, I don't know if I love the place I'm at, right? So it, it's an opportunity. It could be a good thing. There's a silver lining. I mean, in your case, it happened very quickly. <laughs> so that's really great. But even if it didn't happen so quickly, maybe that could have been also a time of introspection, which is also great for people to take that time and and think about what they're looking for. And I also agree with you that these things happen and they're not all bad. They could be amazing turns in your career trajectory. So it's just about how to approach it in a positive way and overcome that and find the next great opportunity for for yourself. Yeah, exactly. And like you were talking about change, like that's one of the things that I think makes Curacubby such a successful startup is they are not afraid of change. Like they live for it. Like the CEO is just like, he's so willing to pivot and figure out what works, figure out what doesn't work. And it's a culture that we hold each other accountable. But at the same time, like if something doesn't work, he's like, great, why didn't it work? Let's move on and move forward and just, you know, not do it again and like learn from what happened. So like he's so willing to change. And I think it starts from the leadership at the top, especially at small startups. Like you have to have those leaders who are willing to model the sort of behavior you want in your employees. That's big. It's definitely a huge, huge point you made there. Anna, thank you so much for all that you've shared here. It's so great to get your refreshing perspective, your experience, and all the different cool things that have been happening in your life this year, all the different changes and how the company is growing and all the marketing that you're working on. And you're probably like, I'm ripping my hair out because it's December and I have so much to do, but it's all very exciting stuff. And I'm cheering you on and I'll keep in touch with you. I want to hear about more great things into next year. You can reach Anna on LinkedIn, Anna Lillian Murphy. 
And to find out more about Curacabi, you can go to curacabi.com. Thank you, Anna, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much, Anna. It's been so fantastic talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping regularly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Anna Firminov, or visit my website, firminovmarketing.com.